0: I heart.
1: Greetings, and welcome to What Happened to That Guy, a Ravens podcast about former players and life after football. I'm your host, John Eisenberg. When I interview guys for this podcast, I usually start by asking if they thought much at all about life after football while they were playing. Some say yes, some say no. But I didn't have to ask Matt Stover the Ravens' superb place kicker for their first 13 seasons in Baltimore. When his career ended, he was a 42-year-old father of three. If he hadn't thought about life after football by then, he was in trouble. But of course, he had. Anyone who knows Stover knows that. The methodical, meticulous, uber-prepared Stover was planning for life after football when he was 23 and kicking for the Cleveland Browns in the early 1990s. Years later, there was a 99% chance, shoot, a 100% chance that he would have things set up as his career wound down. As I learned in our recent conversation for this podcast, by the end, he'd already made a major financial score, quietly cashing in big on an investment. Yes, while he was still kicking for the Ravens. And out of that financial score came the central piece of his post-football career, his business, the Players Philanthropy Fund, a nonprofit that helps athletes with their charitable giving. The seed for it was already planted in Stover's mind when his playing career ended. What happened to that guy? Stover stayed in Baltimore to run that business and raise his family. He became a lacrosse dad with an office in Towson. How local is that? And he's still well-known around town. But I decided to do a podcast episode with him anyway, guessing he would have plenty to say about life after football. And he did, especially on the subject of players and money. That's exactly what Stover was as a kicker, by the way. Money. You may not realize it, but he retired as the fourth highest scorer in NFL history, having converted 471 field goals and amassed 2,004 points—astronomical totals compiled mostly with the Ravens. But success like that was impossible to envision when he was starting out in pro ball. The New York Giants drafted him in 1990 out of Louisiana Tech. He was a 12th-round pick, not overly desired, and he spent his rookie season on injured reserve. Then he jumped to the Browns, but he was never confident his career would last long. The Browns coach was a surly young guy named Bill Belichick, who let's just say was not one to hand out praise and promise good days ahead. Fearing the worst, Stover spent multiple off-seasons interning at the International Management Group, IMG, a powerhouse sports agency based in Cleveland.
2: I was going to be an agent. I was going to be a marketing guy. I was going to be a financial advisor. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I know I needed to get to know people who did it. Relationships, as you know, is what matters. And so I entrenched myself, got a lot of business cards, and and did some schlep work. You know, I was willing to go through files and willing to sit down and, you know, to get my brain picked by them, you know, and sit down and ask questions for financial advisors or whomever just to get entrenched in the community. And even when the Cleveland Grand Prix got there, I was trying to sell – passes and, and advertising for the Cleveland Grand Prix.
1: He signed a contract extension with the Browns in 1995, just before the franchise came to Baltimore. The early Ravens were a work in progress on many fronts, but not a kicker. Stover had converted 29 of 33 field goal attempts in his last year in Cleveland. In 1999, he hit 28 of 33 for the Ravens. The next year, He hit 35 of 39 on a Super Bowl-winning team. He nailed a long and important one in the Super
2: Bowl. And the Ravens are going to attempt about a 47-yard field goal attempt from the left hash. Stover on the year, 35 of 39. Completed, uh, converted 53 of his last 57. Kyle Richardson to hold from the left hash. The snap, the spot, the kick is up. Plenty of leg. And it is good. Matt Stover gives the Ravens a little cushion with a 47-yard field goal. Stover led the league with 35 field goals and led all kickers with 135 points. He has been a valuable, valuable Raven, and he makes it a 10-0 lead. And that's why he's going to the Pro Bowl with those kind of clutch kicks. A big one like that, 47 yards. I mean to tell you, this is a great kick into the wind too, Scott.
1: Brian Billick coached that Super Bowl team. I spoke to Brian about Stover, who finished a distant second to Justin Tucker as the kicker on the Ravens' all-time team as voted on by Baltimore fans in the summer of 2020. They did the all-time team here, and, of course, Justin Tucker won in a landslide. And, and what I can't believe is that there are times when I have to sort of explain to people how, how good Matt Stover was.
3: Yeah. yeah and and particularly given the style of play that we had you know dominated by defense you know those field girls were were huge and, and I, yeah, I i'm with you of course memory fades. i get that and not that justin isn't a big part of what they're doing I, I don't discount that i mean he's a magnificent kicker but i think you could make a real case that matt had a bigger role or was more pivotal simply because of the way that we played and scoring and the whole nine yards and uh he was just so consistent and for so long.
1: Even as his career soared, though, Stover was still concerned about what might happen to him when he was through with football.
2: I was always reading, trying to figure out, you know, the economy, the markets, you know, stocks, bonds, creating, you know, a, a good asset base for myself, so that if my career did come to an end, John, that I understood how much money I would need to go out and make uh, in order to keep the same standard of living.
1: He was the adult in the Ravens locker room, the union representative who understood collective bargaining and long-term financial planning. When his teammates needed advice on what to do with their money, they came to him. His advice was simple. Save, save, save.
2: And one of the things I always try to tell guys when I was in the locker room, hey, can we agree that $100,000 is a lot of money? (laughs) And they would look at me like, yeah, it's a lot of money. I said, now here's the next question. Is it a lot of money over a lifetime? And they look at me like, no. I said, exactly. That's how you need to think. Because you're going to be a young man when you're done with this game. A real young man. So you better understand how many hundreds of thousands of dollars you're going to need to last a lifetime. I, mean, I remember when our team was not investing in the 401k. I mean, you put in you put 10000 you got an extra 20000 if you put it in. right? Because the NFL was two for one and our guys weren't doing it because they wanted their money and they wanted it now. They didn't want to have to wait for it. I looked at them and I said, you bunch of idiots. <laughs> I said, you get an immediate two-for-one, and you're not paying taxes on that money? If this is the best money you can possibly invest, you know. And I still have guys coming up to me today and saying, so, thanks so much for telling me I was crazy enough to do it um, because that's the only money I've got left.
1: By the early 2000s, He'd been in the NFL for more than a decade and signed several nice contracts. It was no longer a matter of making sure he had enough money if
2: his career suddenly ended. Well, after 14 years in the NFL, my wife and I had enough assets to where we were given an opportunity to put some of our funds to risk. A friend of mine had created a online marketing tool called CreditCardApplicationCenter.com. And so what he was doing, um, he figured out how to bring credit card applications into his domain and then market uh, market credit cards for banks. Well, he created it, and I helped him with a little bit of money here and there, and then um, he and I were close, and we decided, you know what? We're the leader with a really bad name called creditcardapplicationcenter.com. Why don't we go buy the name creditcards.com? And credit card and all the things around it. And the purchase of the domain alone was two point seven five million dollars. So, uh, my wife and I went in with him and uh, another partner, and we purchased that domain name, and we absolutely crushed it within about you know eighteen to twenty four months. It was a uh, game changer. And we had, um, you know, we grew the asset uh, tenfold. And, and this is why I'm playing, too, by the way. And I was making more money at the time with my quarterly checks from the business than I was from playing football. So it was kind of funny. Nobody knew it in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> might, be, might be better to keep it quiet. <laughs> it, it was really good, yeah, because I didn't want Ozzie to know, oh, he did not need it. it was tough to him. Yeah. Oh, so I was kicking really well too. <laughs> you know, I, I can giggle like that. But uh, and this is—I'm not, not coming to you from a very from a cocky position at all. It's just, it's, it's totally humbling that I was put in this position, and it was—you know—I'm a Christian guy. It was all God-led, and I, I'm not that smart.
1: Getting into the credit card investment was smart, but getting out when he did was really smart. The year was 2006. It seemed America was riding high, but an economic crash was on the horizon. Stover and his partners recognized that the good times might end soon, so they sold the company.
2: That was a huge sell event, uh, and I got some tremendous counsel on to how to receive those funds from the sale of the company to be able to not only create more wealth for me and my family and my children through trusts and those types of things, but also through the giving piece. I was given advice by Emil Colina. Kalina Associates was actually in Palsam, and he's one of the most forward-thinking charitable planning attorneys in the country, and he's in Towson. and he was in my Bible study. Emil Colina
1: told Stover that the smart thing to do was put a percentage of his proceeds from the sale into a donor-advised fund. Which is what, you ask? It's a financial instrument that brokerages and financial institutions offer. Basically, a charitable giving account that you operate under their umbrella. And what's key, if you take income and put it in there, the income does not
2: get taxed.
1: Stover's eyes
2: grew wide when he heard that. The funds go in there. They're yours to direct as long as it goes to another 501c3 qualified charity. And I gave away a whole lot more money. If I did it that way, then if I would have received it, pay taxes, and then gave it away. And I said, wow. I started operating within this donor-advised fund and saw how simple it was for me to go online, request a check to be paid to Louisiana Tech, to my church, to any other qualified nonprofit, and this donor-advised fund would send the funds to those institutions. I had that ability. And, man, let me tell you, it was something I said, man, players, athletes, women and men should have access to the simplicity of giving away funds. Stover liked the process
1: so much that he and a partner decided to open their own donor-advised fund and attract clients who wanted to run their charitable giving through an account with Stover's organization, which he called the Players Philanthropy Fund because his idea was to work with athletes who'd come into money. And wanted to give
2: some away to help various causes. I'm the back end. I'm the back office. Ed Reed, first class. He was outstanding. We crushed it for it. So the Ed Reed, you know, the Eye of the Hurricane Foundation is actually an account inside of the Players' Philanthropy Fund. We're now at 200 accounts just within the Players' Philanthropy Fund, and we're bringing on our biggest competitor because more and more people are understanding what we're doing the COVID thing, people would call us, and they would want to set up an account. We can have an account set up in a day. They're a nonprofit in a day. Instead of waiting and filing with the IRS, they call us, we sponsor them, and then they go out and do their funds for PPEs or for helping people uh, that are out of work or whatever it is, food, those types of things we've been assisting people in, and we can help them do that extremely quickly. Since you've brought it up, uh, you know, the
1: COVID, it's such a, such a tough time for so many people. There are people in position to help, and I'm just curious as to what you're saying in terms of giving.
2: It's been fantastic. There is a ton of people out there that want to help. Giving Back Fund just last week we received a $3.8 million contribution to one of their COVID accounts because they are purchasing tablets for those who cannot be with their loved ones when they're passing away. Those are the things that are going on, and our communities are, are rallying, and that's what it's going to take for all of us to really get out of this mess, is not only you know, uh, having um, the markets open back up, but our communities coming closer together and creating the uh, resources. This is one way to create resources.
1: Players are supposed to learn from their coaches in the NFL, but Brian Billick told me those roles were reversed when he came to Baltimore and started coaching Stover.
3: Matt helped me learn how to coach him, or at least how to be his head coach. Yeah, he was huge with that, very patient with me, and and taught me
1: a lot. You mean just in terms of what it takes to prepare to be a good kicker and stuff like
3: that? or Just the fact that it's different. And Matt, who's very, very professional, uh, great work ethic, but kickers are different. They just are. They don't train the same. They don't work out the same. And when you don't have any familiarity with that, which I didn't, Matt and I struggled, actually, early, but he was very much man about it. So Coach, we got to find a way to, to work together here. Because I just, I kind of treated him like you know, every player I'd ever coach. Needless to say, they worked it out. Matt is one of my all-time favorites. And he's always been, in my Ravens time, is probably the one that I've interacted with. And he's reached out on a couple occasions, and probably more so than any other player.
1: You're familiar with what he's doing with the Players Philanthropy Fund, I assume, and sort of helping them direct
3: yep. their charitable yep. giving, basically. Exactly right. And and because they do get caught up in so many different directions. And and that's, again, typical of Matt. He very much wants to give back. and You know, because kickers have a different relationship with players. They do. I mean, the players look at them differently. Tony Saraguzzi used to be merciless on Matt <laughs> in practice and games and whatever. And Matt just took, you know, because that was Tony. But Matt's, like all kickers, he's just an interesting guy and and very interesting in the way his career went. You know, just so professional and so precise, he knew he would have a long career.
1: Stover last kicked for the Ravens in 2008. John Harbaugh's first season as their head coach was Stover's last in Baltimore. His contract was not renewed, and he was out of the NFL for a few months until the Indianapolis Colts needed a kicker and signed him during the 2009 season. Stover's last game was Super Bowl 44, in which the Colts lost to the New Orleans Saints. After that, finally, he was done playing football, but not done learning important
2: lessons. When I left the league, I had a particular mindset of how I wanted that to look. Players' fantasy fund was fledgling, we were just getting going, it was so difficult to compete against the current donor advice fund market that's out there, that was tough. I worked for T and a few other companies for my public speaking. Uh, I had a book in line, and the next thing you know, my my family and you know, here I'm this high paid personality, and my family began to suffer a little bit. And I said, you know what, I better be real careful here because you need to kind of find yourself and be a little bit more patient with with not just jumping into anything. So something you know, there, there's some players that you know that did step out quickly, went right into work, and they find themselves within a year or two going, I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, some of them were ravens and high-profile ravens Mm -hmm. and extremely bright ravens. You know what I'm talking about, right, without saying names. Mm -hmm. And they just said, no, I'm not doing that. So I was told to be very careful with, with doing that. I had the ability financially to be able to be patient. And I would say that that, a lot of it has to do with that financial pressure. Where are you when you leave the game? How much do you have saved? How much more money do you make to keep your current standard of living? And then what am I going to do in order to do that? That's typically the case because most guys don't play as long as I did and they don't make enough money. Only about 10% of the league makes enough money, you know, to really be set for life, if that. Uh, That is
1: amazing, just 10%.
2: Oh, yeah. And, 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 the top 1%, <laughs> you know, those are the Peyton Mannings and the Joe Flaccos and the Ray Lewis's. The other 9% of that first 10% are very well paid, but they're not the top 1%. And, um, so realize that 90% of the league is just a good start. Uh, and people say, well, God, you know, I'd love, to, you know, love to have it. Exactly. And if a player comes in thinking that it's just going to be a good start in life, it's not a means to an end, then he'll budget properly he won't spend his money crazily and he'll understand that this is going to be just, you know, be 25, 26 when I'm done. Um, if it goes further than that, then it's all bonus money. And, and that's if they're good. Remember that if you make it one year in the NFL, your average goes to six. If you make it less than one year, then everybody's average is less than four. So it's the one year that you're after and those are the guys you take. It's really about a six-year average that um, you stay in the NFL.
1: How prevalent do you think is the
2: understanding
1: of that, you know,
2: amongst the playing
1: population? Well,
2: I'll tell you, the NFL does a great job of helping you understand that if you're willing to listen and learn. A third of the league listens and does something about it. Another third of the league listens and does nothing about it. And another third of the league doesn't even listen. Okay, and I've seen that time and time again. So about a third of your locker room is smart enough to realize those types of things. Not that the others aren't smart enough. They're just willing to act on it and uh, the reality of what you're in. um, Just because you made it into the NFL that first year doesn't mean that you're set, not even close. And most people think, well, you made it, you know, you got drafted and you're set for life. No, you're not. Not even as a first-round draft pick.
1: I feel like you you have something to offer other players with with that advice. Because you're not the first person to tell me that. I mean, Peter Bulwer told me, and this is a guy who has his act together. He said the first year out was a struggle, and you mm-hmm. know it was. You know, what am I doing? The noise is gone, the crowds are gone, the adulation's gone, and that's fine. It's just a jolt. You know, how do you adjust to that? I'm not sure if fans understand. It's re- it's a real adjustment.
2: It is. Our identity has been part of this game since I was in first grade. I was a football player, you know, and I ended up being a kicker. (laughs) But uh, I was a football player growing up, and and, uh, heck, I was 42 when I walked away from the game. And I was told, that's going to be hard. It is an identity issue. I mean, you're going through a death. You know, a part of you is dying. Football is a
1: young man's game, no question. But if you last as long as Stover did, you really benefit. And not just because you keep making football money. You grow old and wise with experience. You gain a perspective that enables you to deal with the tricky end of career and start of the rest of your life stuff.
2: Clay Matthews, the dad, you know, he was a teammate of mine. We were talking after he was done playing. and He used to have this Nike contract. He said, You know what my Nike contract is now? <laughs> Dick Sporting Goods. That's what mine is. <laughs> <laughs> And I just laughed I said you know what you're right you're right. that's so true because it's it, all that goes. and but I had time at the age of 42 to, to, to decipher that to, to deal with that piece and to, and to understand fully, fully the privilege it is to play in the NFL. It is a privilege and if you approach it like that and the gratitude you had for that opportunity, then when you are done with it, you don't have any bitterness.
1: Few would have blamed Stover for feeling bitter about his departure from the Ravens after the 2008 season. All good things come to an end. He wasn't happy with how it was handled, and that could have colored his post-football relationship with the organization. Instead, Stover basically just moved on, let bygones be bygones. When the Ravens put him in the ring of honor in 2011, he addressed the fans directly.
2: More than anything I can tell you, that it's been a privilege to be here with you, and it's been a privilege to serve you as a player out there on this field. So much so that I even chose to live here when my career was done. Awesome.
1: Yes, it was a happy ending. And Stover is well aware those can be rare because so many players carry some bitterness into their post-football lives because of some incident or development late
2: in their careers. An injury, coaching change, a coach that didn't like you, one bad play, right? Those type of things, and um, uh, it was always a battle for me. It was just always a battle, and you just had to gain their trust as soon as much as you can, and how they perceived you as your new reality, and you had to deal with that. And um, I think that's life in general. So I, I, I did my best, and I have no regret looking back, and. You know, I worked extremely hard, and I tried to play with excellence, but I try to be the best teammate I possibly could be. And I hope that's the legacy I left more than anything, is that my teammates thought me as a good teammate. And I was willing to do whatever I needed to to be that teammate on and off the field.
1: You can find out more about Stover's career at BaltimoreRavens.com slash what happened to that guy. I'd like to thank him for speaking to me. Another episode of What Happened to That Guy will drop in two weeks, and they'll keep coming every other week for the rest of the 2020 season. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And tell your Ravens friends about it. This podcast is part of the Baltimore Ravens Podcast Network, which also includes The Lounge, hosted by Ryan Mink and Garrett Downing. And new this year, Black in the NFL, hosted by my colleague Clifton Brown. Wherever you get your podcast, just search for the Baltimore Ravens Podcast Network and everything will come up. Good stuff all around. This is John Eisenberg. I'll talk to you in two weeks.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... slash iHeart.